At the time when Hurricane Sandy was raging wrathfully and forcefully, I was standing in my room at the Bell Harbor Manor, looking outside and saying to myself, may the creator of heaven and earth help us in this hour of need. We find ourselves in the armory. I looked around and I saw that mainly it has community activities going on there. Uh, but the whole place was transformed, really. They greeted us like that, with open arms, with smiling faces. It, it was wonderful. I, I can't, it's beyond description what I feel for those wonderful people. Artists from around the city were so generous. They were just like wanting so badly to get involved and to use their skills and talents as they got involved. So we had everything from classical music quartets and group from Carnegie Hall who came because Carnegie Hall was closed. We had people from the Philharmonic. We had people from Broadway. And we had jazz quartets and storytellers and Big Apple Circus. And we had um, the New York Writers Collaborative. That was resident Miriam Eisenstein Drockler and community organizer Karen Atlas talking about the time they spent at a Brooklyn shelter in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Hurricane Sandy battered the northeastern portion of the United States, with New York City and the surrounding areas hit particularly hard. Thousands of people were evacuated as their homes were flooded, damaged, and frequently destroyed. In the Park Slope section of Brooklyn, a shelter was opened in a space called the Armory. There, the dazed, wet, and hungry evacuees were housed, fed, and clothed, looked after by medical teams providing health care, and scores of volunteers helping any way they could, including artists who created extensive daily cultural programming for the residents. This programming was organized by Karen Atlas, the director of the Arts and Democracy Project, a nonprofit that works to integrate the arts into local communities through civic engagement. The Arts and Democracy Project provides a link between artists and community activists on the grassroots level. Although the project has no institutional base, Atlas, in fact, describes it as a network of networks with a team that's spread throughout the country. Karen herself is based in Brooklyn and very involved with her Park Slope community and well-known to her city council member, Brad Lander, which is how her involvement at the Armory began. The way it started was that in Park Slope, which was not that badly hit by the storm. It was a lot of fallen trees, which were really bad, but not the kind of devastation in other neighborhoods. And we're on high ground. So they put two of the shelters in Park Slope, including a 
special needs shelter, which was for senior citizens and people who had physical and mental um, disabilities. These were people from the Rockaways who had been evacuated after the storm. And it was very traumatic for them. They literally walked through thigh-high water. Some of these people were in their 90s. And they were, their clothes were sopping wet. And they find themselves in this shelter. And it took a while to get things going and, and, to, and to get hot food for them and showers. And all of this was done, a lot of it was done by uh, the city council member from the area, Brad Lander, who really looked out for people. He called me up about three days into it and said, I think the shelter leadership is ready to deal with what are people going to do while they're there. And so maybe you can come over and organize a few cultural activities for a couple days. And um, I got there. And of course, artists from around the city were so generous. They were just like, wanting so badly to get involved and to use their skills and talents as they got involved. So they had been like calling and knocking on the door. And and this did not only happen in this shelter, it happened in all of them. And the shelters couldn't deal with it. They didn't have the infrastructure to start organizing cultural activities. So most of the shelters just said, we can't do it. In this case, they said to me, if you can create the infrastructure... And not just do a couple things, but create an entire program, which, by the way, is not just arts, but should also include religious services. And we had everything from religious services to therapy dogs to massage to stress relief. And it was not only for the residents, the folks, the evacuees, but also for the emergency workers. I just agreed to do it. I mean, the good thing about being a really small, flexible network is We didn't have to clear it through a bureaucracy. We just knew that this was something we needed to do. And even though it seemed like a huge task, one thing we're really good at doing is sort of creating teams. Um, So that's what we did. We created a wellness center. And we did everything that was about people's wellness, from the arts to religion to, to a lot of other things. And we created an infrastructure to make it work. And we were asked to be somewhat autonomous, which turned out to be a pretty good thing for us because we could set our own rules and we could sort of develop our own volunteer teams in a way that made sense for our work. Where did the volunteers come from? Volunteers at this shelter were just streaming in from everywhere. So um, they were coming to you and saying, how can we help? Oh, yeah. We didn't, have, we didn't have to do a lot of reaching out. When I came there, they already had this list Somebody had written down, everybody called. So that was where we started. And one of the best things every day was when we checked the email and just saw all the offers that were being made from around the city. And they were just extraordinary. So we had everything from classical music quartets and group from Carnegie Hall who came because Carnegie Hall was closed. We had people from the Philharmonic. We had people from Broadway. And we had jazz quartets and storytellers and Big Apple Circus. And we had um, the New York Writers Collaborative. And I mean, I I think what I learned also was what kind of artists made sense in that setting, because it isn't every art. I mean, some artists could just come and play beautiful music, and that was wonderful. And I think people so appreciated, you know, you'd be listening and there'd be a cello playing and it would be gorgeous. And we'd have people from the emergency workers say, you know, I couldn't come over, but we just heard it and it was so comforting.
Um, so we'd have that. But then we had people really early on who did participatory workshops or music circles or um, writing where people could start to make sense of what happened to them. You know, we, we kind of thought of ourselves as the living room of the shelter because it was the one place with chairs. I mean, one thing we re- found out is that the arts community is really resourceful. So, you know, there weren't that many chairs in the shelter, but Rooftop Films was right in the neighborhood, and they have tons of chairs. So they not only did a screening, but they provided chairs for us to have all the way through. And, you know, each group, we learned about sort of the social networks that are out there and the cultural networks and what each one had to bring to the table. And so we were in pretty good shape pretty fast because of the combination of the religious organizations and the cultural groups. We we were like the only ones with tables, you know, at one point. And I remember when FEMA came, they took our tables and chairs. And it was fine, you know, because FEMA needs tables and chairs. But it just was funny to me that, that that's where they came from, the arts community. <laughs> you know, in looking at, and I guess it was Election Day, at the Wellness Center. The program is so robust and has an enormous amount of scope from flute to meditation to just sit and be fit with music, cello, comedy, exercise, art making, storytelling, Big Apple Circus, Knitting Circle, I mean, and on and on and on. And that was the night that that the Balaka um, Ensemble came from Carnegie Hall and played. And then we had an election party, which was really important. There was another person in the shelter um, who did an extraordinary thing because she figured out how people could vote. And you had a lot of people there who were really – had always voted. And, you know, she was able to work it out with the Board of Election, you know, with a lot of running back and forth with um, absentee ballots, but to be able to get them to vote. And so the election party was quite a robust um, event as well. It sounds as though what you did, and I think the term creating a living room sort of illustrates it, is building a community within that shelter. I mean, a living room is really an important thing, I would think, for a displaced person. If you see a picture of the shelter, it's this huge armory with cot after cot with the same color blankets. And that is what people have. And then they have their garbage bag, you know, of stuff that they've been able to get at the shelter. Um, And just to have a space where you could get up from your cot and walk over and sit down like a civilized human being and stop being like everybody else as an evacuee and start being yourself with your name and your story and your talent. I think it was this transformation from being a victim to being a creator, And that's why especially the participatory um, art making was so important because people would be, you know, they would be writing and they would be creating. There was an amazing painter and he would just sit there and paint every day. But he could get up, go sit somewhere where there were lots of art supplies. The other amazing thing, and this really says a lot about community and civic networks, is people just walk in. One day people walked in with knitting needles and yarn and um, kind of a curriculum. After that, we had knitting circles every night, and somebody else walked in with the art supplies. Um, It was just incredible. And a lot of these are folks that that when they offered initially, the shelter was like, we can't deal with people giving us yarn, but they could just deal directly with us, and so they could bypass, and it didn't become a burden to the shelter. Because we were very interested in how this could be done in other shelters as well, but none of them had that infrastructure, so it felt like a burden. And I think what we're really interested in figuring out is how can arts and culture be something that's liberating, not a burden, 
in these kinds of situations. That is really interesting. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it worked in this particular shelter, the armory, where it was more difficult in other shelters? Why why weren't they able to create the kind of infrastructure that you did uh, uh, autonomously? Well, I'm sure they could have. I, I don't think they had the invitation. I really believe there are so many people around the city who could set up what we set up, and especially now because we really want to make this into a model. But I think it was the invitation from the city council member, Brad Lander, and really important. And then I think the um, vision of the people who ran the shelter, and Erin McClanahan is one of them, and there was a whole central command team that took the risk to do it. Because, again, Brad brought me in. He knew me. He could vouch for me. And I remember, you know, I, it was a very heavy responsibility because I said, I'm going to be responsible for everything that happens in the wellness center. That was a lot, you know, and so to feel like everything ultimately came back to me and if anybody got sick, and there was a lot of concern because it was a special needs shelter. So, like, I had to negotiate for an hour around knitting needles because there were people who were mentally ill there and what happens if a knitting needle gets used the wrong way. But one of the things I've been thinking a lot from this experience is how much just personally for me it stretched me. And I think it also stretched the system. And I think stretching is a good thing. And that the question is, once we're stretched, do we stay there or do we go back to our old ways? One of the ways that it really stretched me was to figure out, you know, how do you really integrate the arts and culture in a way that make people feel comfortable? You know, and I just drew on some skills that I had gotten um, actually from being in a leadership program last year, which was all about how do you work with people who don't agree with you? So, you know, there were basic skills like stopping in the central command every morning, sharing the schedule with them, telling them if anything um, bothered them to let me know immediately and we would make sure that stopped. And just finding out what people's concerns were about it and then trying to address them and realizing that we were all with no sleep and on edge. I mean, you know, and then some really obvious things like offering massages to the staff. Um, so they could also benefit from our programs. I think they also started to come around when they realized that, again, as the living room, we got to know the people really well there. And if they wanted to know the word on the street, what we called it, in all of those rows of cots, you know, it was the volunteers there, you know, both the people from the Wellness Center and the other volunteers who really knew what was going on. And so it went from the sort of starting with some suspicion towards us to bringing us in when some major thing had to be communicated with the residents because they knew that they came and talked to us and that we knew what was on their minds and we could also communicate to them and they trusted us. So it it sounds like at the Armory it was a real collaboration of city officials and state officials along with community volunteers. Yeah, it was. I think that was a real another one of these things where in a disaster you can come together and and do things that are harder when we do things in our conventional ways. And I think the combination of the community networks, the broader um, citywide network of artists who participated, and then the Red Cross and the emergency medical people and the local government and the city agencies, we had a common goal. There was a recognition ceremony that, you know, it's always great to be recognized. So I'm very happy, you know, the city through the city council office gave us these plaques. 
But even more important was like who we got them with. So it was the wellness center and it was the medical doctors and it was the central command. We had a common goal. It would seem to me two things. One, the impact on the artist, I bet, was almost as profound as the impact on the residents of the shelter. Absolutely. There are so many moments that um, in the moment I was just crying because they were so moving. And I think a lot of the people involved, the musicians and other artists felt them. I mean, not a surprise. There's an amazing network of musicians in Park Slope. And um, one of the musicians, Mark Stewart, plays the guitar with Paul Simon. And he's just got this whole network of artists and musicians, and they do hootenannies. So they did their hootenanny at the Wellness Center. And it was so much fun. They brought all kinds of instruments, and people played them, and it was very participatory and by request. And a lot of the things we did actually kind of felt like a three-ring circus in a, in a kind of wonderful way. So we had the hootenanny happening. We had one of the therapy dogs who performs come and play the piano. And we had a knitting circle. And all of that was going on at once. And if you just looked at it, like now you'd say, that is bizarre. But in the moment, it was so moving. And I remember we were sort of in a circle singing together. And Mark said, this is feeding us so much as artists. You know, we are so grateful for this opportunity to do this with you. And I also think for volunteers in a disaster, it really, I think, often calls out the best in people. And the best in people really is they want to do what they do well. And for artists, that means making music or running a writing workshop or doing storytelling. That's absolutely true. And and also, though, I want to give a shout out to a lot of the folks doing the real basics of this shelter, like taking people to the bathroom. And after a few days, they'd say, well, you know, I am a musician, too. And I think when we became a little less autonomous, because I didn't want to take volunteers away from the basic needs of the shelter. So I was generating my own volunteers. But then there was a point where the shelter started sending people over to us if they knew they were artists. And it was great because artists were helping schedule. They were like, boy, I've never been on the producer side of things. You know, I've always been the performer. A lot of people did finally step up. I remember there was a jazz musician, Jeff King, who worked every night doing just a lot of things in the shelter. Um, And he worked for the city. And finally he said all right, my band's got to come play. And it was it was so wonderful because everybody knew him and his band played and, and they all saw this other dimension of him. And I think in terms of just overall artists really being seen as part of the community, this was a really wonderful way for them to be seen that way. Outreach to other communities devastated by storms, which unfortunately we see more and more of. And of course, New Orleans, which is so rich, culturally comes to mind. Have you compared notes with people in New Orleans about some of the strategies that they might have employed during Katrina and, and, and exchanged ideas, for example? Yes. And I mean, we're just starting to do that. And we look forward to doing it more. We There was just a conference this weekend that was about really building community resilience. And we had a cultural session. And Carol Bebel, who runs the Ashe Center in New Orleans, who's amazing, That center played a really important role after Katrina because it became the kind of neutral space where people would come and meet. It was also important that it was a cultural space because while they, they had all these community meetings there, they also had culture and healing. And 
I've always known that culture can heal. I think this experience really showed how it can heal. And the Ashe Center didn't just do that in a shelter. They became a healing space for the long recovery. And I think that's what we have to learn from New Orleans. This is a long process. And how do we build this cultural and wellness work into the ongoing work in our communities, um, not just in the moment of the relief effort, but as we think about um, recovery, as we think about rebuilding, as we think about all of the instances when it's needed in communities, how do we strengthen our community groups who do this kind of work? And how do we strengthen our networks so that they can keep going? And I think that's the work we all need to think about now. If you're able to carry on the work that you began at the Armory, that really is a great foundation for the ongoing work that you're talking about. Yeah, and there's a couple ways the work has continued or will continue. One thing I'm really interested in is this model and how do we really look at what we did, document it, think about who all the players in it were. And the team is huge of people that I worked with. And sort of find the people with the most interest, find the artists with the most interest. And we've even talked, started to talk to the CERT teams, which are the emergency neighborhood-based teams, about us getting their training so that the next time there's a shelter, it's built into the infrastructure and we have the emergency training. And also to really think about how do we really make this case that when you start a shelter, you shouldn't wait four days into it to add the wellness center. It should be part of the design from day one. And this is a hard argument to make, but I really am eager to make it, which is that dignity and respect is a basic human need and that, yes, people need shelter and they need dry clothes and they need food, but they also need to be treated like human beings and to have the kinds of things that were offered to them that we were able to offer in the wellness center. And they need that from day one. That That's not something that you like get your dry clothes and then you do that. Bread and roses. Exactly. And, you know, every time I hear somebody say, yeah, but we deal with basic human needs, I'm like, this is a basic human need. The other form of continuation, which is a more unfortunate one. Um, so what happened was that when the shelter closed, uh, there was a whole group of people, over 100, who couldn't go home. And they were senior citizens from and um, folks with special needs from an adult home in the Rockaways. And they got moved and to a, a hotel, only in name, <laughs> that was insecure. It was not a safe place, and they had to be moved away from that to a third place. And now they're in a psychiatric institution. And it's a real horror story, what's happened to them. And... Because, again, we really got to know them at the Armory. There's a group of us who have followed them at each place and continue to provide programs and sympathetic ear, and we've become advocates. And I think part of the stretching of this work is I didn't know anything about all the issues around adult homes and the state before this happened, and now I've had to have a crash course in it and have to do different things than I would have thought that I would do. But that's what happens. You know, for us, they weren't clients. They became people that we were close to. Friends. And friends. And people were concerned about. So as much as we wanted to celebrate when the shelter closed down, until these folks can go home, we're sticking by them. And we're still sticking by them because they're still in this unfortunate situation. You want to develop what you call an arts and wellness recovery core. 
describe what your vision is for this. There's a lot of work to be done, but we got kind of inspired by something called DMAT. Basically, they are medical personnel of all different kinds. They're, um, everybody who works in the medical field can sign up, and they're like the Civil Guard, and they meet once a month, and they get trained, and then when a disaster comes, they get called up. And they get deployed. And so we had uh, DMAT people from Massachusetts and Hawaii and um, I think Florida. It was pretty amazing. And we really got close to the DMAT folks. They were really – they had a wonderful spirit because, you know, to sign up for something like that, you have to have a a generous spirit. And um, I remember on their last night of the Massachusetts one, we had a karaoke night because they wanted to sing. And they sang New York, New York. <laughs> it was, they were amazing. But we were inspired by that model. And not that we would necessarily have a group of artists who get deployed, but the idea that you have a core group of people and that we do receive some emergency training so that and that we're recognized we have standing so that we're, you know, we don't have to just rely on one sympathetic city council member, but that there's the understanding that this is an official group that can be called on and that we keep a database of artists. So for local use, we'd be called up when something happens. For emergencies in other areas, we could do something like help come in and start an infrastructure for a wellness center. I think it's really important to use local artists because local people want to help. And it it becomes very frustrating when local people can't even get in to volunteer, which was sometimes the case. So it's really important in this model that it uses the local resources. But on the other hand, you know, the building of the infrastructure is something that you could use outside help with. You know, it strikes me that, and I know this is something that you've thought a lot about, so I would just like you to talk a little bit about it, that art, the arts have a very particular role to play during times of disaster, during polarizing political moments, during hard economic times, that the space that the arts can occupy can really help build bridges. Absolutely. In a polarized situation, people are dehumanized. They stand for things rather than become people that you can identify with. And I thought what was really interesting in the shelter is, like, I didn't even necessarily know what people's politics were or, you know, the kinds of things that divide us. We were interacting on a more basic level. So I think that that happens. I think that, you know, just from a social change perspective, if you don't have dignity and a sense of yourself and a sense of your own strength, it's very hard to do anything more. And so that's the first step. So if you're saying, here are all these people and they're here and they're kind of treated like in mass numbers rather than individually, because you have to in that situation, we could work with them individually. And I think it really, in terms of agency, it gave people agency to feel like they could be an individual. Now, I don't want the Wellness Center to take credit for all that because I think something that was really important to me was to sit down with a group of the people um, that are still not home and talk to them about what worked and what didn't work in their experience because, you know, you want to hear from the people who are most impacted. And what worked for them was just the general idea of all these volunteers. That's, you know, and then the wellness activities was was great too. But the fact that you had all these people who cared about them and were willing to spend time with them and treat them as human beings. And that is important. And I think art takes it the next step for sure. 
And the step after, aside from the disaster, just in terms of community building in neighborhoods. Absolutely. And the thing that they said was worst was they weren't listened to and they were lied to. And a lot of times it wasn't deliberate. I think people made assumptions about them not being able to hear the truth. And instead of saying, let's just level with you like anybody who should be leveled with, you know, let's give you that, that respect. A lot of times, for example, the writing circles would really unleash a lot of things, and they hadn't had another way to have these conversations. Or I was also really impressed with somebody who worked on our team who who was a music therapist, and he ended up doing some music circles. And, you know, just using in a very innocuous way, singing together, but then what does that song make you think? And, you know, going that next step to really be able to talk about what's going on. They're really important conversations for people to have. So it's, it was the full spectrum of all that art can do. I mean, it can take you outside of yourself and bring you right back into, right yourself. Back into yourself. Yeah, and we usually do both at the same time. <laughs> Finally, what's the next step? Yeah, well, the next step immediately is to help get these folks home. They're in a terrible situation. They need to get out of it. Then I can follow up on the next steps around the Wellness Center ideas and really try to develop that model and that, that core idea. We had a visit by the Health and Human Services Secretary Sebelius. We had visits from the White House Office of Social Innovation and AmeriCorps head. Everybody was delighted when they saw it. How do we take this beyond just this wonderful thing that happened in the middle of a horrible disaster? And how do we think about this more integrally in terms of the role of arts and culture in everything that's important to us? And so my final word is, may the dynamics of, that prevail now in the armory go outside of the walls of this building, go outside and reach society at large in our daily interaction with one another. Amen. That last voice belonged to Miriam Eisenstein Drockler. She was a resident at the Armory in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. I was talking to Karen Atlas, director of the Arts and Democracy Project. She was talking about the arts programming she helped to create at the Armory. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from Looking East, Enchantedly, and On the Beach from the CD, Songs Without Words, written and performed by Sean Grissom, who's courtesy of Inpin Music Publishing. Special thanks to musicians Marianne McSweeney and Casey Shea. Marianne, Casey, and Sean were among the many artists who performed regularly for the residents at the Armory. Miriam Eisenstadt Drockler was recorded by Rachel Falcone from Sandy Storyline. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. You can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.